0: Crazy Christmas is upon us, and uh, so we're going to be taking a break from our series in the Gospel of John for a few weeks. Uh, We're going to focus in on some Christmas uh, involvements, if you will, some different people that were involved in the the Christmas story, and really wanting to take it from uh, a perspective of this Christmas checklist. We've titled this Christmas series Your Christmas Checklist and because uh, we recognize that come the Christmas season, there's always a lot of different things that we like to do. I know at our house, we look forward to setting up the Christmas decorations. Um, maybe, hopefully at this point, many of you have done that. We are typically on the earlier uh, side of getting that done. Um, and some of you let us know that maybe we're wrong in doing that. That's okay, right? But we've all got our uh, things, our traditions as a family, uh, maybe stuff that you grew up with as a kid that you love to have involved in your Christmas season. So uh, this Christmas, we wanted to stop and say, hey, this is a time to truly celebrate. We want to encourage you um, to take time to do that. And so uh, in your bulletin today, uh, we even included a little bit of a Christmas checklist that, um, you know what, Some, someone came up with this. And lots of fun things on here Things that uh, we like to do in the Anderson House And I'm sure things that you like to do And some of these things we're going to take time to uh, Talk about as a church family uh, Together And so we really wanted to kick this uh, whole series off uh, Today talking about the Importance of really celebrating Christmas and I think uh, Celebration is something that uh, we continue to see A need for uh, right now Something that and really what we have at Christmas Is a reason to celebrate And so uh, this morning I want to do just that. I want to talk about uh, celebration. In order to do that I want to recognize that uh, we have many different traditions and ways of celebrating but I want to focus our attention on a biblical celebration that revolved around Christmas. And a lot of times what we'll do is uh, we'll open up our our Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and uh, stuff and we'll look at the angels. But I want to go a little bit earlier than that in the Christmas story, if you will. And I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 1. Now I know that in, uh, in the scriptures that's not a whole lot earlier earlier uh, but in terms of the time frame uh, definitely a, a bit earlier as we look at this and I want to look at uh, Mary's song today as Mary kind of celebrated looking ahead to uh, this Christmas as we would come to celebrate it and uh, you're going to find that in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 46 and we're going to read through uh, verse 55 uh, together this is uh, her song is called the magnificat Uh, which uh, really is just a a wonderful thing as we're going to talk about this magnifying uh, the Lord. And I want to just read through this together and then we're going to talk a little bit about the context of where it is and and what we can do to be celebrating uh, much as Mary did as well, uh, looking ahead to this. So starting in verse 46, it says, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today. And it is uh, our heart's desire to celebrate this Christmas season because we have much to celebrate for. And uh, this morning as we open up to Luke chapter 1, Lord, I ask that you would uh, align our hearts with yours and the mission that you are doing, and what Christmas is all about, that we would celebrate much like Mary did, looking ahead to the birth of her son. Lord, I pray that as we look back, that we would celebrate just the same, and that in our celebration, we would uh, rub off on those around us, and that uh, our celebration of Christmas would be contagious as we lift your name high, as we magnify you in our own lives. And so, Lord, we ask a blessing now on this time Uh, the preaching of your word, our reception of it, that you would be honored, that you would be magnified even now. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we look at uh, the Magnificat, uh, Mary's song... I want us to take a step back and recognize the context that uh, Mary's kind of living in right now because I think that helps give us a little bit of a perspective um, for her going into this, right? Because we can look at this and it it sounds great when we take it out of its context, but if we look at uh, where Mary's at, if you wanted to even turn the page or look a little bit earlier in Luke chapter 1, um, starting in verse 26, and kind of following, it gives us this whole uh, narrative story of how Mary was told of everything that was going to take place and all these things that were going to happen. And, and as you look at her, you, uh, we have uh, such a, a, a context, right? We just had our second little baby. And I remember when we found out that uh, we were pregnant, we were excited. We were excited to say, hey, we're going to have another kid, and oftentimes we find ourselves excited in these circumstances, but that's not always the case, right? And so as Mary is given this news of what's going to happen, I want us to stop and recognize that there was uh, some conflicting emotions uh, going on with her in this uh, point in time. So let's look at that context. Right away, uh, we see in uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, right, that Mary was chosen by God for this uh, really important and significant role that she was going to play in God's redemptive plan. God chose her. She didn't go and merit it, uh, but uh, she was chosen by God for this. And we stop and we look at Uh, There in Luke chapter 1, we have a couple of phrases like uh, Mary is the O favored one, as Gabriel says. She has found favor with God. And in our context today, a lot of times when we read a word like that, O favored one, or you who have found favor, we tend to think of it as someone who has earned this favor. That you have done something to merit it, whether by just doing good deeds, being a quality person, whatever. And as we look at Mary, we can be tempted and through our lens to say, oh, Mary must have done something to merit this opportunity. That God would look on her and say, oh, she's a special one. She's the one who's been living upright and holy. Therefore, I'm going to give her this chance, this role. But I want us to stop and look at uh, this word favored for a second. Because I think it gives us uh, just a unique picture. The Greek word for favored is actually the Greek word charis, right? Which, if you know your Greek, is the same word used and most often translated for grace. And if we know anything about what grace is, grace is something that is not deserved. So, you could almost say that Mary has found grace in the eyes of God. The same thing said of Noah that Noah had found favor, God looked upon him with grace. Therefore, if it's the grace of God that called Mary to this, that chose Mary, it's because of God's choosing, not because that she had deserved it, but because in God's plan, in God's mind, in his purposes, by his grace, he chose her for this significant role. She was chosen by God, by the grace of God, and for the glory of God. So Mary was chosen. But as we look at verse 29 we also see that Mary was just a little bit concerned. Now, we often think of angels showing up and we're like how crazy would that be? And I can't tell you the amount of times that I've sat in a room or in a building at night and thought how how wild would that be if an angel just showed up out of nowhere? Cuz we read these stories in the scriptures and you're like that that's got to be a fascinating interaction, like oh, amazing. But then you look and almost every single time an angel shows up, people are terrified. Because I don't think the scriptures describe angels in those cute little cherub kind of uh, pictures that we often attribute them to in our kind of uh, picturing of angels. It was a terrifying thing for an angel to show up. And so uh, we see in verse 29 that uh, Gabriel comes before Mary and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And right away, verse 29, But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Interesting. Interesting. And then what Luke doesn't record, but what I'm sure would have been going through the mind of this young woman, is all the cultural concerns that she would have had as well. I'm not married. It would be highly unacceptable to be pregnant at this stage in her life. Should, could she become an outcast? There's, I'm sure some questions running through her mind. Mary had some concern. Then verse 34, Mary was confused, right? How will this be since I'm a virgin? How am I supposed to have a kid when I've never known a man? Uh, Some logical human questions. This doesn't make sense. How is this going to work out? Mary's a little bit confused. But then uh, Mary is given some confirmation. Verse 35 through 37. One of my favorite verses in the Scriptures is in verse 37 where uh, Gabriel says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And man, if we could just stop for a second and let that sink into the depths of our hearts, how revolutionary would that be in our lives? For nothing will be impossible with God. Wow. How's it going to be? Well, God's going to do it, and nothing's impossible for Him. But just in case you want a little bit more confirmation, your cousin, Elizabeth, who's barren, she's six months pregnant. And God kind of gives this lesser miracle, if you will, to give credibility and affirmation to this greater one that's to come, that Mary is going to be part of. And as a result, in verse 38, we see that Mary is content. She's content to be used by God. Behold, I'm your servant. So, There's some conflicting emotions, some thoughts as Mary is approaching this. And I think it's somewhat helpful for us to stop and recognize these things because as she comes now, she goes and visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is going to pray, essentially bless her, say, how great is it that you have this responsibility, this role? Mary is going to turn the tables and magnify the Lord. I think it's helpful to see this context. And I think it's helpful for us as well. Because while Mary is the only one that's been called and chosen to be the mother of the Son of God, I'm sure as you look at the ways that God has called you in your life, you might resonate with some of those very things that Mary certainly was feeling. Concerned? Confused at times? Ever feel unqualified? Or even content to say, okay, Lord, do as you please. So as we celebrate Christmas... I want to stop and recognize the context in which we are going to celebrate the Magnificat. Mary's Magnificat models for us how we should celebrate Christmas. I think it gives us a good picture of what our celebration uh, should really be. Amidst all the traditions, and if you were to travel from country to country and background to background, you might find different traditions each and every place. A plethora, right? We had the Christmas concert uh, last night where uh, Tom had some people come out, and they played, uh, what was it, over 25 different uh, Christmas carols, all from different backgrounds. You had English backgrounds, German, you had Norwegian, you had some American, all of these different uh, traditions that are represented, and we have all of these things. But amidst all of those, and through and through, I think Mary's Magnificat helps us to see what is it to truly celebrate? What are we celebrating this Christmas? And at a time like this, we look at what this is, and immediately she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The Magnificat simply means the magnification. In other words, reflecting that very thing, that through and through, this whole passage... This whole song of Mary is about magnifying the Lord. The whole thing. And so it only seems appropriate for us that as we begin this Christmas celebration that we would do so by adoring God with reverence. That we would celebrate Christmas starting by adoring God with reverence. And this is one of those things that I want us I'm going to ask us to pause for just a second. Because In our church cultures, it's easy to say this, but then get so caught up, first and foremost, with the other traditions, the other celebrations, that it can be easy to lose sight of God. So I want to encourage us, as we're entering this Christmas season, to keep God at the start of the whole thing. You'll notice uh, right before our passage, uh, Mary had gone to Elizabeth and uh, really as an interesting such a fascinating uh, event here that took place Mary shows up and the baby inside uh, Elizabeth leaps for joy She and filled with the spirit Elizabeth's like bless you right to be the mother of the, our Lord and what a time it would have been for Mary to make much of herself yeah how, how great is it that, oh yeah I got a pretty significant role I must be kind of something that the Lord's given me. This, yeah, you look up to me. How cool is this? How honored I am. And I think this is one of the ways that we stop and recognize the heart of Mary. Because while it could be easy for us, it could have been easy for her to make much of herself. She doesn't do that. She makes much of her God. So a proper celebration of Christmas starts with God. So, as we look to magnify God, I was asking myself this week, what, how do we do that? How do we go about magnifying God? What does it mean to truly adore God with reverence? And oftentimes we think of adoration as one of those things that is driven by our emotions, right? That we feel adoration towards other people. And I was, uh, even this week, listening to uh, C.S. Lewis's book, uh, Mere Christianity, if you've ever uh, read it. It's a, it's a great book. And in there, he's talking about this idea of love and how the world looks at love as this emotional drive and that as that uh, feeling of love begins to subside, you start to see relationships wane and break apart. But that in those moments, the choice of love, the decision of love to love despite emotion at times really kicks in and that, he argues, is true love. Not just the feeling of it but the commitment of love. And I look at uh, what it is to adore God, and I recognize that at times some of us uh, may feel a bit of a dry spell, if you will, uh, in our feelings towards God. We're, we struggle to feel that adoration, and then we say, I must not truly love God. But I don't encourage you that if you're going to adore God, it's not just in your feelings and your emotions but it's in all of who you are. And so I wanted to start with a couple of things here and recognize that if we are to magnify God and truly adore Him, it's going to involve a number of things. Our assumptions, our attentions, and our articulations, because you know they've all got to start with A. So to start with our assumptions... How can we go about magnifying God and living a life of true adoration if we are going to operate under false assumptions about who God is? Proper adoration starts with right assumptions. And those right assumptions have to involve the truth about who God is and the truth about who we are. Look at the beginning of Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I think Mary certainly appreciated the role that she had been given and called to, but her appreciation for it, Began and increased with the right assumptions about who God is and who she is. John Calvin, um, in his uh, popular Institutes of the Christian Religion, says this. He says, Nearly all the wisdom that we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. We have to understand these things. And Bill, uh, last, was it last week you talked about this in your theology class? Uh, That we have before the service. And we talked about how often we need to understand who God is, but the world flips the equation and starts with us and then moves to God. But if we are to truly understand even ourselves, to start with God first. Look where Mary starts. She doesn't start with herself, she starts with God, and that gives perspective to her role, to herself proper knowledge of ourselves comes through the proper knowledge of who God is. Uh, the late Martin Lloyd-Jones had his, uh, his main indictment of the modern evangelical church. He says this, that it is, we do not know God. Not knowing God as we ought, does we do not know ourselves as we ought, and as a result, we are focused on ourselves and our own happiness rather than on the glory of God. Our true happiness, I would encourage you, comes when we properly understand who God is, properly understand who we are, and then recognize the grace and blessing that it is that God has called us, chosen us, and engages with us. I think that we could properly conclude that Mary knew well the God whom she loved, the God who called her, the God whom she worshipped I think she knew it if you looked at uh, the whole of her song it's, it bears some striking resemblance to Hannah's song of celebration all the way back in First Samuel now do you think that Mary on the fly was like okay I'm going to quote and go back to this but I think she had this model right this model of what it is to celebrate and thank God put yourself in the context public education wasn't so popular back then. How would Mary have known so well this God? How would she have been so familiar with the writings and the scriptures? But by attending regularly the synagogues, listening, uh, focusing as they were taught and read them. And so I think that as we move along, we start to adore God first with our assumptions about him, that we start to understand who he is, then who we are, But then it involves our attentions as well. That if you're going to magnify God and find yourself consumed with him and his holiness, what are you focusing on? I think that's a helpful reminder for us this Christmas. What's the focus of your time? Does your family, perhaps some of you guys spend time as a family doing Advent each day to stop and carve out a period of your time in your day to come together to focus your family on the Lord. Maybe that's a part of your your family's routine on a regular basis. You start the day off with some family devotionals or whatever. I don't know. But I want to call you to stop and consider what you are focusing your attention on these days. And I know, because I live it myself, that especially around Christmas, things can get hectic, things can get crazy. Our schedules can fill up with, you name how many Christmas parties you end up going to. A party at work, a party with family, friends, a small group, your church, this, that, all these different things that uh, vie for our time and our attention this Christmas. What are you focusing your attention on? Are you focusing on the things of God? Are you giving attention to His Word? Are you understanding who He is, what He is doing? Look, I mean, if you were to look at this song, and we're going to talk about it more, look at what Mary says going in through 50 to 53. Understanding what God is doing. Brothers and sisters, are you focusing your minds on these things? Your hearts on these things? Understanding, seeing what God is doing? Are you reading any books that are bringing to the forefront of your mind what God is up to? Are you reading His Word and meditating on it day and night? Are you involving yourselves in intentionally setting your attention on God? What a time to do that. What a time to set our attention on these things. And as we do that, I would would argue, and I think you could agree with me, that what we tend to focus on tends to come out in what we articulate. I would say that's another way that we are able to magnify God in what we articulate. And when I say articulate, I'm not just meaning in what we say. But what do you articulate by the whole of your life? The things you say and the things that you do. Are you articulating that God is great? That He is holy, both in word and in deed? That as we live this Christian life, it's not just about But that we would go about loving others, that we would love each other, care for one another, that we would sacrifice of ourselves for the good of those who are around us. Mary's worship and magnification of God did not simply say, uh, "Begin with, yeah, God, you're great," but it involved her submitting to the will and purposes and plans of God. And boy, didn't it change her life and ours? if you're going to magnify God, if you're going to adore who He is, true adoration is not just in your feelings, but it starts with what you know to be true about God, what you know to be true about yourself. It involves the things that you're going to focus your attention on, and that comes down to our self-discipline. It involves what we articulate to others, both in word and in deed got to love how uh, Christmas is often the, uh, the common criticism is that after Thanksgiving, right, you've got this time where we pause and we're thankful for all these things, and then the day after Thanksgiving, what do we do? Black Friday, where we go out and it's almost like what we're thankful for turns into greed, turns into materialism, and we almost forget everything that it's been about. Now, I would encourage us that we not become so consumed with the things of this world, even the traditions and celebrations of this world, that we forget to stop and celebrate the God who we serve. And maybe we could conclude, like the, the Grinch did, when all things were said and done, that perhaps Christmas doesn't come from a store, but that Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. So I think as Mary began uh, with this uh, in mind, her her magnification of God, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, then it, it makes it possible for us this Christmas to stop and appreciate the role that God gave you. You want to celebrate this Christmas? Appreciate the role that God has given you. And when we understand how great and holy God is, and we understand what's true of ourselves, then it makes it altogether possible for us to really, truly, in the depths of our hearts, appreciate the fact that we get to be part of this. It starts with a proper perspective of yourself. Notice she says in verse 48, He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. He's looked upon the humble estate of His servant. Man, when we uh, begin to see and understand just how magnificent God is, just how holy, just how great He is, we begin to realize just how insignificant, if you will, we are, how small we are, how finite we are. And then for such a, a great God to use such finite and fallible people like us, wow, wow. You mean you'd use me? You mean you want to use me in your kingdom purposes? Because we begin to realize that I am not qualified. I am not worthy in and of myself. We stop and we recognize who we are. Recognize, brothers and sisters, that your role has been given to you by the grace of God. Not because of your greatness, not because of your qualifications, but stop and get this that God has knit you together for this purpose. He has designed you, created you. Everything that you have, from the skills, the passions, everything, God has knit together in you for His purposes, for His glory. This began with and revolves around the glory of God. This is not altogether about us. God has designed you for the role that He has called you to. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship. And pay close attention to this. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've been called by the grace of God for the glory of God. And that, that blows my mind. It makes me feel small in the most healthy kind of way. That God is so great. But then recognize that your role that God's called you to is a part of something bigger than yourself. It's a part of something bigger than you and it's a part of something bigger than the Indian Creek campus of Village Bible Church. It's a part of something bigger than all the campuses of Village Bible Church. It's a part of something bigger than the church in, Great Amer- in, in North America or all around the world. We are a part of a story that goes back to the beginning of time, before the beginning of time. This is about something bigger than just us. Mary knew Mary knew and recognized, and I think that helped her to appreciate her role, that it wasn't about her. This was about something bigger than her. You'll notice, uh, you'll see uh, there at the end of verse 48, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She had a uh, bit of this perspective to say that what was happening in that moment had implications that were going to unfold for all the generations to come that this wasn't something that just her loved ones around her then and there were going to celebrate and appreciate but this is something that even today we look back and we recognize the significant role that God called Mary to not to praise her but to praise the God who chose her the God who used her for his glory look at verses 45 I'm sorry 54 and 55 uh, near the end of the passage She says and recognizes that he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She goes way back, recognizing that what was taking place in her lifetime was a fulfillment of what God had said way back at the beginning. This is not just about the then and there. This is about this whole story. This thing is not a compilation of different stories, unique and individual and disconnected. They are all connected through and through to reveal the redemption plan of God to us. This is one, and we are caught up in this story. We are still living in it. It's not done yet. And we have this opportunity to stop and recognize that here and today we are just as much in the story as Mary was then, as Abraham was back in the beginning. And because look at what she recognizes. That he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The Apostle Paul in Romans uh, grafts us into that offspring. He says that we, uh, as children of faith, are children with Abraham. We are in this story. And man, when we start to see uh, all of these things and we peel back the layers of our involvement and in seeing where we're in what God is doing, not just in this small little town, right? Because, brothers and sisters, do not feel that this church is insignificant. If you look around this room, there's not a ton of people here. If you look in Shabana, there's not a ton of people here. But that does not make the ministry that God has called us to in this place any less significant than the huge churches somewhere else. Because it's the same gospel, the same God, the same Spirit who calls and equips you and me as there. God has called us to something significant because it's not just about here. It's about something much bigger. And how crazy is it that He would choose to use And when we stop this Christmas and magnify our God, how great is he? And then to stop and say, man, he's invited me into this. That changes the way we celebrate. That changes the way that we focus our time and our attentions at Christmas. And not just at Christmas, but all the time. Because it's about him. Last, or next, I want to encourage us that as we join with Mary in celebration, we should align ourselves with God's revolution. That's a, that's a big word, isn't it? Revolution. I don't, uh, before Bill, you think that I've coined that myself because he's looking at me laughing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian, said that the Magnificat is, quote, the most passionate. The wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. But why? But why? Look at some of the things that are highlighted here. Verses 50 and following. And his mercies for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. Do you see how uh, there is a recognition that in what is taking place with the advent of the Messiah, there is a turning of the tables, if you will, a flipping of the tables. And this is something where uh, many have assumed the mere physical fulfillments of this revolution. And as a result, interestingly, to learn this, you might be blown away, this song, the Magnificat, has actually been banned from being posted or sung in different parts of the world at different points in time in history. Can you believe that? Because it was oftentimes those in lowly status who would sing this and hold so firmly to the fulfillment of this revolution, if you will, that is talked about here. But I think what is taking place is not just a mere flipping of the physical tables. It's not just about the physical revolution, but a spiritual revolution. And isn't that something we've been learning in the Gospel of John over and over and over again? That as humanity, our tendency is to look simply at the physical world around us. And we sometimes miss the, physical, the spiritual implications that are actually being talked about. And I think that's the revolution that's being dealt with here in the Magnificat not just the physical revolution but the spiritual one why 1 john 2:17 and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of god abides forever if the world is passing away then what a temporary revolution this would be momentary and the glimpse of eternity But if what God is doing in the sending of the Messiah, His Son, is greater than just the physical world, there's something altogether eternal about it. That it's not just about the societal, the political, the economic overturning that we might see here in these verses, but to recognize the spiritual realities for those in those same places. Jesus said in John 18, 36, "...that my kingdom is not of this world." That if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Can we stop and recognize that? That God's kingdom is not a kingdom of this world, but a kingdom of heaven. That He has called us as His citizens, His children, to something greater. Bill, this morning you talked about transcendence, that his kingdom, we would even say perhaps is transcendent to this physical world. Can we let that sink in? That if that's true, he's called us to something altogether different. Then if we look at these verses the scattering of the proud and the thoughts of their hearts, the bringing down of the mighty from their thrones and exalting those of humble estate, filling the hungry with good things and the rich sending away empty. Maybe does that not bring to mind some of the teachings of Jesus? The blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is the true hunger? For they will be filled. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? As the Apostle Paul would write that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And 2 Timothy, that if we endure, we will also reign with him. But you see, it's not just about the physical. But there is a spiritual revolution that was beginning then and there and is continuing on even now. That is something that we ought to celebrate. And that is something that we can share with others because we've been brought into it and we see it and we understand it but how many people are lost and unaware of that very revolution that's taking place that if God truly is as mighty and holy as the scriptures say he is then man does that give us some confidence that the things that he has promised to be are that we can trust them and set our hope in those things. Because this is the hope of Christmas, <laughs> a revolution, a beginning. Because what comes in the manger will eventually go to the cross. The Messiah, our Lord, our King, our Savior. I want to encourage you to play your part in this Second Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 18, going to 6, one, Paul writes, And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice, see, we are part of that. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Is that not what we implore those who are lost and looking around us? That as Paul would write this to this broken church, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, but be an ambassador in this. Fulfill the role that God has called you to, to his glory and not your own. And lastly, as we close, I want us to stop and as we celebrate this Christmas, acknowledge God's reliability. Acknowledge His reliability. His work is not yet finished. But we can trust Him in the now because as we've seen all throughout, He has been faithful. And not just even what we see here, but if you wanted to sit down, I I look around this room. And I see stories of God's faithfulness over the years of our lives. I've heard some of them. Praise be to God. That we would magnify Him. That we would stop and say, if right now I don't understand how it's going to work out, I don't understand what you are doing, then to stop and say, but I can trust Him because I know God is reliable. This Magnificat goes back to uh, what God had said to Abraham way back when. A fulfillment of these things. I-, I love it. It goes back even before then. If you wanted to see the first time uh, that a Messiah was promised, if you will, uh, to the world, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Even then, in the midst of the fall and the curse that God was putting on the world, because of sin, a promise of one who would come who would be a victor. So celebrate Jesus being the fulfillment of God's plans this Christmas. Celebrate Jesus being the promised one. Celebrate that He is our hope and our certainty that God is faithful even to the end. He's faithful to his own word because what God says he will do, God does because it is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews. We don't have to have the whole picture, we don't have to have all the details. God doesn't call us to that. He calls us to trust him and to walk with him because he does. And for those of you who have had children, you get that, right? Because they don't understand everything that's going on. They don't understand what you're asking them to do all the time. But you understand the bigger picture. God has given us that, I believe, as a blessing to help us understand our relationship with Him. That we could say, okay, I get it that I don't get it. But I'm going to trust you anyways. I will follow you. Because you have proven yourself reliable time and time and time again. The scriptures as a whole are testimony to God's reliability. Christmas is a time where we celebrate God fulfilling the promise that He had made way back when. Celebrate these things the glory of God, His might, His holiness, His faithfulness to us. Celebrate His grace and His mercy that He would look upon us as His humble servants. And love us in such a way to send his son. Praise him that he is uh, gracious enough to fill us and equip us for these roles that we would be his ambassadors, that we would be given opportunities to, to stand and sing praises to him, to go out into this world, whether you're driving trucks, teaching, whatever you're doing, to be an ambassador in that place, in that role for the glory of God. It is not insignificant. You have been called by the creator of the universe to his glory and by his grace. So this Christmas, cling to the promises of God and look forward to the ultimate fulfillment when one day we will stand in his presence. When he will right all wrongs. That day's coming. We look forward to it. But even now, we stand and we praise and we celebrate.